Hello, and welcome back to Star Trek Sundays. Today's episode is a bit different from our regular format. We had to postpone our episode titled Search for a Creator by a Week, which gave us a chance to have a relaxing chat with the crew on a variety of topics. Coming up is a collection of excerpts from a chill, ten-forward lounge-style chat in which we went from talking about Star Trek The Motion Picture to Terminator 6 and why Ryan compares the Terminator series to a time-traveling Moses, to space herpes, Martin Luther King Jr., the USA's involvement in World War II, and then aging in Star Trek. As always, our goal is not to come to conclusions on the themes we discuss, but to spark contemplation and conversation which we hope continues after the live recording and into the lives of the listeners of the podcast. Like I said, these are excerpts, and we'll post more of this conversation and others when we have some space in the programming. The postponement also gave us a chance to watch a second movie for the Search for a Creator episode, which we recorded on June 4th and will be published on June 11th. For that episode, we watched Star Trek The Motion Picture and Star Trek V The Final Frontier. When I mention the movie in these excerpts, I'm referring to Star Trek The Motion Picture. And if you'd like to join the crew and participate in the regular show and these casual conversations, you can find us in the Star Trek house on Clubhouse. We record the show every Sunday at 10 a.m. PST. You can contact us directly through our website, StarTrekSundays.com. We'll have our little Star Trek science fiction church today and just have a little hangout. We can talk about the movie or anything else you want just to spend some time on a Sunday morning. It's great that you're still holding court with Star Trek Sunday is like there's always something new and there's always something interesting to discuss. You know, I like these rooms too, and uh, hopefully I'm not doing all the talking because I feel like I come out of each room. Even when we had the hangout a couple of weeks ago, I feel like my thoughts and feelings on things evolve and change a little bit as we have these rooms, which is what I kind of want from every conversation. So, um, so yeah, we'll we'll see what comes of it today. I'm still reeling from the movie yesterday. Like, I just thought that was so great. <laughs> and Daniel said, oh, it doesn't have very good reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. And I go, I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> Loved it. I mean, Rotten Tomatoes can be wrong, right? There's plenty of amazing movies that they pan because it's, it's simply like the lowest common denominator, like the most popular crowd-pleasing things are the ones that get boosted by Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, yeah. And I guess if this doesn't have the pew pew that people were talking about that some Star Trek people want in a movie. You know, if it's the first movie, right? But Rotten Tomatoes wasn't out then. So these are reviewers looking back on it and they probably haven't seen the director's edition. It was funny though. I'm going to throw a, a little bit of a curveball at you guys. I don't know if you've seen Terminator 6, but uh, T is hosting a room every Wednesday where he's playing like a series of movies. And so for... I think they took one week off or something. But anyway, for the last six weeks, they played Terminator. Terminator 6 was last week. Have you seen that? Uh, yeah. Is, is that the one where Sarah Connor returns? Yeah. 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 And the Terminator is actually like a drapery expert living in the country. Who got married. <laughs> yeah. Like, so what was interesting was I was talking about, like, 
the change in topic because all week I've been thinking about political correctness, which we'll talk about political correctness and incorrectness at some point, but how this movie didn't actually fit the topic, even though we thought, oh, it's going to be old, it's going to be terrible, right? <laughs> and it wasn't, it was excellent. So we changed the topic to searching for a creator and how, you know, when you search for a creator, like even in these rooms on Clubhouse, often it comes back to, as I think discordant rhyme said, the creator of the creator is actually human, right? <laughs> Point for the atheists. And I thought that was funny. But I said, you know, I don't know if it's because I'm in a habit now of watching these TV shows and movies with some sort of intent, but I'm finding I'm really getting a lot more from almost everything I watch. <laughs> and it's probably me putting things into it, but I thought Terminator 6 was really deep. And I was telling Daniel about it. He hadn't even, he hadn't seen it or, and he didn't know that it even existed until I was watching it last week. And I said, when the Terminator said that he, when Carl, that's how he's called in the movie, when Carl, uh, I guess, killed John Connor, he had no more purpose. And so he needed to find a purpose. Now, of course, my philosophical husband, Daniel, says, well, why? What made him think that he needed a purpose? Why wouldn't he just end, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, but then we wouldn't have a movie. Anyway, so he finds this purpose with this family that he can take care of, right? This woman and this baby. And he's been sending text messages to Sarah so that she can continue killing Terminators as they pop out of the little bubble. And she says to him as he's talking about all of this, well, why? Why the text messages? Why did you send me this? And he said, so that you had a purpose too after John was killed. And like, that was a punch in the gut to me. I just thought this, this is brilliant. <laughs> and then I started thinking about purpose. And then it was mixed with this movie yesterday, the Star Trek The Most Picture, because Vigers, Voyager 6's purpose was to get back to the creator, right? And where would it have found that purpose? So it was like this really deep thing like all these thoughts I was having and contemplation because I watched Terminator 6 and Star Trek, the motion picture, nobody would believe that you could get some deep contemplation out of those. But I absolutely did. Well, yeah. And I mean, when when you see the, the parallels from these stories with human religions, right, you see how we've been grappling with these themes for thousands of years from from the moment that we could think we started creating uh, synthetic beings that would either replace us, kill us, or save us. In Jewish mysticism, you have the golem, which is a clay robot, basically. In Christianity, you have angels, right, which are these genderless beings that are superior in every way, yet don't have souls, therefore are at the whims of humans in a lot of respects. And so like the, this idea of like grappling with the creator has been there the whole time in our narrative stories. And, you know, like with Terminator, it's very much a time travel version of, of Moses, of being the sort of chosen golden child that will then reset things right. But then what happens when like, what happens if someone from the future goes back and kills Moses? right? Moses still has to happen, 
the, the narrative still has to exist. And so somebody else takes that place. And, and that's sort of the point of Terminator 6. Yeah, John Connor dies, but the, the, the story continues and another woman arises and has a child and that child will be the savior of humanity. So it doesn't matter that John dies, right? Because somebody will take the place. Someone will always, there, there will always be a version of John Connor. There will always be a version of Moses. Right, right. And in this one, because it's probably been a while since you saw it, it, it like they thought she was going to be the one who had the baby, but it, it wasn't that she was going to have a baby who became the savior. She became the savior. Yeah, that's right. Right? Yeah, yeah. So she saved the girl who ended up coming back from the future to save her. Like time tra travel just boggles my mind and I used to stay away from it. But now I'm just like letting go of having it make sense and just enjoying the storylines, right? But I'd never heard anybody say anything about Terminator being like time travel Moses, but I love that. Hi, Rachel. I mean, it's you know that that's the it's an easy context to to make it fit right because like uh, we we keep telling the same story over and over and over again we just change the window dressing and even viger viger is the creation is frankenstein's monster that then realizes he wants to know who his father is who created him and in his journey to get back to England to find Dr. Frankenstein murders a shit ton of people, right? That's it's V'ger. V'ger murders um, by our standards of understanding, but it murders the way a child with uh, a looking glass with a loop murders ants. We never say, oh, that child murdered ants because we consider it to be a higher being than ants. Therefore, we don't classify it as murder. But if that child thought that ants had created it and was attempting to find the source of his creation by then murdering as many ant colonies as possible, right, you'd see how the story repeats itself. Yeah, it was, it, I don't know, like, I, the more I talk about this after I watch these, the more I think I'm, I'm, I'm getting closer to having my husband watch one of them with me. He did agree to watch some Terminator with me because I missed Terminator 5. But then he said, oh, I haven't seen Terminator 1. And I said, well, I think we should watch Terminator 1 and 6 then, or 1, 5, and 6, because I think that they, that they're, the movies break up into different timelines. But anyway... But yeah, this the, the movie yesterday on the search for the creator. I, I'm looking forward to next week when we actually talk about it because I'm I'm looking forward to T talking about where we've seen this because it seems like we've seen this throughout Star Trek. And certainly Star Trek has a real heavy leaning into religion or religious commentary, right? Which is great. And the motion picture itself sounds very familiar to an episode where Kirk and the Enterprise encounter a probe that had become self-aware and was killing people and that a past ancestor of Kirk had made it. And so there's, mm. you see these genisms pop up over and over again, where you see what Gene Roddenberry was obsessed with, which is you know, the ramifications of generational trauma and how 
our past will always come back to affect us in the future, even the far future, if we don't reckon with it as soon as possible. And Invitra is a good example. The symbol of our exploration becomes the object of our destruction. The thing that started it all, right, Voyager 1 and 2, with the gold plates that say what a human is and where we come from, that those messages in a bottle gain self-awareness and lose bits of information in the process, and in so coming back, wreck destruction and havoc. And we see a similar theme happen in the voyage home, the one with the, with the whales, where a probe has come from some far distant galaxy, and it needs to talk to whales for some reason. So it's been there before. And, and until it gets a response back from the whales, it'll cause havoc and destruction in its wake. Because the question of what is intelligence, right, is, is a very big question. And because we happen to be the apex predators of planet Earth, we assume that we are intelligent and that other species would recognize our intelligence. But as Viger points out, it sees us as infesting the enterprise because it sees the enterprise as a life form and us as basically the space herpes that's riding around in it. And so from Viger's perspective, it's like, let me help you out, bro. Let me give you some antibiotics. Right. Yeah. The herpes. I, I was listening in to the earlier uh, conversation about microcosms and macrocosms and stuff. And it made me think of uh, in, in Norse mythology, there's this idea that the earth is like its own goddess. And, um, like the way different deities personify, it, it gets a little uh, inconsistent. Like like some sources will actually say that the earth itself is the goddess and technically it's a giantess, which is like kind of a speciation thing. But um, a really common form of creation myth is that the universe came to be by like the bones or the the decaying corpses of some elder form of god that it died and was replaced by like these younger gods so i i think um that theme of like the universe imitating life and life imitating the universe is just like uh like something we almost can't help like draw that line it, it's like one of those uh intuitive beliefs that can like ring true really easily were you were you here when Ryan made the comparison? He said that because I had mentioned something about watching Terminator 6 last week. And Ryan said that Terminator is like a time traveling Moses story. I, I did not hear that. That, that. that is interesting, though, in a very like Jordan Peterson way. Right. Like it's the story that keeps being told. and It, it happened in a in a meta way. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, so for, for me, like the sort of artificial intelligence anxiety of Skynet to me goes back to the golems, right? Where we've been, we've been playing with the idea of artificial life in one form or another. Oh, you're breaking up for me, Ryan. I don't know if you're breaking up for anybody else. Yeah, he was breaking up for me too. Yeah, just I'll continue right after. Oh, okay. Hey, Gaspar. Glad you can come by. What's up? We're talking about our bodies being their own universes with their own 
infectious little creatures. But we can't kill all of them or we'll kill the good guys too. As if we're our own world and our microbiomes are good humans and bad humans. Well, it's not it's not even as simple as that. I mean, that's the thing that makes it so amazing is it's not the good guys and the bad guys. Like, there really aren't bad guys. I mean, there are some truly bad bacteria that you don't want, but but there but but there are many, many, many bacteria that are not bad and they're not good either. They're there and you need a balance. Anyway, it's just, it's so amazing to me. One of the high priests of scientism, Neil deGrasse Tyson has this thing about like, yeah, if you want to feel insignificant, you know, talk to, co- to the cosmologist. But if you want to feel like the center of the universe, just break out a microscope and start looking at gut bacteria. Is is this better? Uh-huh. Oh, so, so what I was saying is that in particular with Moses, right, like there's the prophecy of, of his arrival, which is a form of time travel. All prophecy is a form of time travel. Um, and there's a sort of closed loop that has to happen for, for the story to play out. And uh, the person who becomes his father travels back in time to assure his, his birth, which then sets the course of history in, in the right way. Right. So the, the, with, with, in terms of John Connor, like John Connor has to happen. He's almost a fixed point in time, but he's also irrelevant in the sense that if you wipe him out of the board, somebody else will emerge to fill that role. And so there's, there's this sort of AI anxiety that we've always had, whether it be golems or clockwork automatons or robots or now AI. It's something that as we as humans are always striving for to create, but, to, but then also see the pitfalls of the fact that that creation can be our species downfall. And so there's this weird, it's like a suicide pact at the same time, but, it, but it's so powerful that we can't help but do it. It's sort of relieving in some way when I imagine that if it's not me, it'll be somebody else. Like, I don't think, I well, in general, I don't think I'm all that special. But then there's some things where I think, no, I, I need to do this as if, as if I am special. So, um, but then it is relieving to go like, well, if, if I'm not here to do it, somebody else will be here to do it. <laughs> I, I like this kind of contemplation. <laughs> I can tell you, and from the very start, I told you that every time we have these conversations, whether it's the real show or the hangout, I feel changed by the end of the conversation. Great. So I'm about as hard a determinist as I've ever met. I have a pretty firm belief that um, like heroes and villains, great and terrible people are kind of the product of their time. So like had Martin Luther King never been born, there would just be a lot of streets named after somebody else. Like the, the circumstances dictated that that kind of a character had to appear. Yeah. It's, yeah. Okay. So that's interesting. Cause then we get into like real life things. Right. And, and yeah. So if it wasn't him, who, who could it have been, but it might've been somebody who we just don't know of right now, who wasn't even in the ranks, who might've felt compelled to do something because there was a gap, but because there wasn't a gap, this person maybe just supported 
the cause or went on to do something else that was productive. It's interesting to figure out who that might have been. Yeah, somebody was comment. I don't remember what room or who it was, but was saying, uh, you know, Hitler never actually killed anybody. He, he only ordered it. So, like, if you think like words aren't violence, then like reconcile that. And then they were corrected by somebody saying, you know, he was a World War One combat veteran. I'm not sure that those things equate because my understanding was that he was a message runner, so he got shot at a lot. But we don't actually know that he actually like ever pulled the trigger like ever in his entire career oh, i mean other than when he killed himself right imagine if that's the only time he ever shot at anybody i mean he might have shot at people and not killed them it's interesting with hitler though because you know what i didn't think it was his experience in the war maybe it was that caused him all his bad thoughts and feelings as much as the outcome of the war and and the state in which Germany was left and and that kind of thing that made made him rise up. But I, I've got to say, as much as I've watched hours and hours and hours of the History Channel when it was the Hitler History Channel, there's still gaps in my knowledge of it. Like I'm not trying to make apologies for this guy, but but like to say that he wouldn't have had some psychological trauma running from machine gun fire strikes me as just kind of ignorant. And, you know, the, the question of, like, if you could go back in time and kill baby Hitler, would you? Like, the, the idea that the someone else wouldn't have been just as bad, if not worse. Like, it, the, I understand, like, appealing to consequentialism can get us into a lot of trouble. But, like, we just don't know that the person that would have replaced him wouldn't have been worse. So, so great people, whether good or bad, are a team effort. Right, like MLK doesn't exist in a vacuum, and he doesn't exist without Rosa Parks, and and with the thousands of other people that either helped promote him or prop him up, or were arrested, or were killed, or you know, so there there was a whole network that made MLK the same way that there was a whole network of people that made Hitler. Right, it wasn't in a vacuum by himself. It was enabled by people that had similar thoughts. And so if, if not Hitler, you know, somebody else, because there was a, it was a group effort that made it happen. And I, I think that's something that when we reflect back in history, we tend to sort of focus on the singular individuals that get propped up in history, but we sort of ignore the whole team that made it happen. And that's something to be aware of. So yeah, we could have gone back in time and killed baby Hitler, but like Goebbels was still around, right? Like all of his generals would still have risen the ranks. The anti-Semitism that allowed Hitler to rise to power was palpable and there, regardless of what Hitler said, right? Like the, the history enabled Hitler the same way that like history propped up MLK. And without the time and place and the group of people, those those names are meaningless. So we can also say like Hitler was largely a pawn of the party too, right? Like they kind of were like the the group of people around him. And I, I suspect that part of MLK's success was that there was this counterpoint in Malcolm X. And had there been someone else like more easily aligned 
with and Malcolm X not existing, we could be looking at MLK as kind of this questionable character and, you know, celebrating somebody different. Like sometimes even the point of contrast is part of our success. Not that I don't like MLK, MLK or I mean uh, Malcolm X. Malcolm X is great too. Well, yeah, but he Malcolm X was the stick and, and MLK was the carrot in terms of like, well, look, you either deal with this person who, who believes in nonviolence, who has the this Christian ideology for the best of Christianity, or you deal with MLK, who is more aligned with the Not Black the Panther Party, who's more like arm the fuck up and shoot your enemy. And so that contrast offers heroes to rise. But you're right, without MLK, I mean, without Malcolm X, MLK would have been a villain in the eyes of white history. So, James, the thing I'm trying to understand, about, if I'm understanding correctly what you're saying, like in MLK's case, you were saying, if not him, it would have been somebody else. I don't know if we can necessarily determine that. Like, I, I don't, like, I'm trying to think about it. And I feel like uh, saying that um, it just, it could also lead to inaction. Like some, maybe what if Martin Luther King was like, oh, someone else is going to stand up for this, so I don't need to, then maybe it would never have happened. Like, I don't know if it's always the case that someone else would have been in his stead. Yeah, I think that's a really valid criticism. Um, and like, th this is just a, a retrospective. I, I wouldn't like use this kind of thinking to inform behavior. I think people should do the things they're passionate about. Yeah, it's interesting because when you guys were talking about it being like a team or there's like a, a group of people who do it, I was thinking even farther out, like the hundreds and thousands of people that went to see Martin Luther King Jr., right? Like without them, he could have just been some crazy guy on a soapbox, right? So you do need to have a first follower and then you to legitimize you and then you do need to have a group of people that follow you. If we look at that, if we look at this group of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people who were ready for this, I do think it could have been somebody else because they were ready. They were ready to have somebody represent them and talk to them. So one of one of them might have done it. Sometimes you get propped up. Somebody, sometimes your friends say, hey, you need to do this, right? So I'm, I'm leaning towards, yeah, it was him. That's fine. This is what our history is. But I think those changes would have happened regardless of whether it was him or not. Yeah, I want to say like anytime um, you ask a history teacher a really simple question like what started World War II? They're going to kind of laugh and be like, well, that's a tough question. It's hard to say. And they'll give you a handful of different possible points that you could start drawing the line from. The only way to know whether killing baby Hitler actually would prevent the whole situation that followed would be to test it. And since it's not testable, other candidates should also be considered that, you know, like uh, I think maybe Ryan brought up, there was already a certain environment that was at work anyway. Whether there was another person with the same, I don't know, charisma, if you will, who would have filled that void and gotten the same infrastructure in place uh, that's a different question but the environment could be said to be ripe for that but then you could also say well the environment was there but you know, only hitler could have turned it into what it was so i can understand eventually i started to understand why history teachers provide those answers because it's hard to 
isolate a single cause for certain things because you'll always find that like you try to say oh well this was the cause of it but you know that relied on this previous prerequisite yeah and and like a lot of hitler's ideas and implementations of how they should treat jewish folk was taken from from jim crow from american laws on how we as a collective treated african americans or people of african descent and so they they took that framework they sent lawyers over here to the usa to study what we were doing and 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 then they innovated right if you want to call it that in a horrific way the gas chambers that they first used were ford designs there was a transatlantic network that encouraged and allowed hitler to rise both here in the united states and in europe you know you, you still see it play out to this day where like you know putin exists not in a vacuum but in a long network of events and we're part of that chain of events like P putin doesn't exist free of the usa right and hitler doesn't exist free of the usa either yeah, all, all three of these characters have in common the great oratory tradition and i i think uh like finding another southern baptist minister would would probably be like pretty easy the, the problem is like getting those ideas like translated into a, a great order but whenever people like talk about you know the the atrocities of nazism i i'm always again like not to apologize for them but like anti-semitism was the norm like so many people like it just it just it is what it was like they're their views were awfully palatable on the world stage. And I think the only exception they made was, uh, was the Olympics where they actually like tried to hide some of that stuff from the world stage. But otherwise like those, those views were, you know, like pretty normal, not like Holocaust views, but just, you know, discriminating against people. Oh yeah. Yeah. The caricature of the misery or the cheapskate, Jewish person with the big nose. There was cartoons of that in the late 1800s, right? So yeah, this was, you know, it wasn't something that they invented. I guess I just, you know, when you said something about, um, you know, Hitler not killing people, like we know it's said that he was a vegetarian and, you know, sensitive, he was an artist and all this stuff, right? And I wonder like, okay, maybe he wouldn't have had the stomach to do some of the things that some of these other people in on his team did if we took hitler out of the and again i'm not apologizing for him either but if we took him out say you know hitler wasn't born for whatever reason those people probably would have done similar experiments right they might have had similar tendencies and just found somebody else because it seems to me correct me if i'm wrong that it wasn't as if a lot of those people had like this high respect for Hitler. Sometimes I see the film footage and I, I watch a history show and it's like they were setting him up to be the scapegoat. They were happy to do all their little shitty things in the background and have him be the face of the ugliness that maybe I'm yeah, and I, projecting or something. Well, I did a paper on the eugenics movement um, in my history of California class. And so they were already scientists from California from England doing like um, experimentation on disabled people. They were sterilizing. Um, uh, they had a whole group of people they sterilized. 
if they thought you were an unfit member of society, so someone who maybe had three strikes against them already, or an alcoholic, or things like this, or dis disabled, or other races, they would sterilize them without their knowledge. And we actually sent California scientists to Germany, and they give a presentation. I, apparently, Hit, supposedly Hitler wasn't there, but it was to a secondhand guy and a bunch of other top German uh, scientists. And they, so we directly affected that. So even if Hitler didn't do what he did, you know, so when Hitler did what he did, all these people started distancing themselves from Hitler. But there are actually uh, sources where scientists from California were, wrote to Hitler praising him for what he was doing in Germany. But then when there was global outrage, all of a sudden America like stopped what they were doing and they turned against Hitler because it wasn't popular anymore. So it definitely could have, who knows, if Hitler never came to power in Germany, maybe someone would have been just as bad here in America. And the fact is that America was just as bad. It was just better at covering it up and had better marketing, right? So like even into the 1980s, native women were being sterilized against their knowledge. Uh, undocumented immigrants were being sterilized up until the 1990s, I believe. Yeah, um, I found a, a news clip about how in the 90s when, when Clinton was in charge, he actually finally did, um, I don't know how he found out about it, but like he actually started a movement to get these laws off the books because even in the 90s, some states still had sterilization laws. Yeah, and he also declassified all the documents because the, America had classified them so nobody could see them. And he declassified them and gave a public apology to all the people that were sterilized, but it would never made it to like, it didn't make big news. So obviously they were still trying to keep it under wraps. Well, yeah, I mean, the USA sees itself as the world's heroes because of World War II, but the reality is that we're also the world's villains and have been the whole time and continue to be, except that we have better marketing, right? And we have better tools to keep the population ignorant about certain things, like the Black Wall Street massacre. I didn't know that it happened until a TV show told me about it. The level of mind control that the USA exerts on its population and others is masterclass evil. And it still persists to this day, to the point where like, even in our internal politics, you know, the daughters of the Confederacy spun the Civil War to be about these plucky Southern states, you know, fighting for freedom to do what to enslave people we are at the whims of the success of our marketing and the ignorance of our own historical horrors like it it never ends there's always another horror and atrocity around the bend that you go holy shit we did that the usa did that you know the the the, the fiction that we see in movies is in some ways there to to prop up the good feelings that we have about ourselves and about the concepts of justice and history and all that. Uh, but a lot of it is a lie. And you know what's wild? Even during the eugenics movement, um, I also found uh, papers from the 60s. They had a column called Eugenics Weekly where they were actually updating the population about what they were doing. Um, and so I thought that was wild. And so I asked my mom, like, do you remember this paper? And she actually said, yeah, she remembers her dad. My grandpa 
saying something about Eugenics Weekly once. So like, uh, so that's crazy. I'm sure Star Trek must have said something about eugenics. They, um, it did. I mean, they, yeah, they. Yeah, they said the eugenics yeah. wars. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. So I'll have to look for a few shows and see what we can, um, what we can find there. In Star oh, Trek, there's ahead, prejudice against genetic engineering because of the eugenics war, because of the eugenics nazism and the hold that eugenics had on the usa for many decades hey boat we're just shooting the shit today t had something that came up last minute so we put um our topic of search for a creator based on the star trek the motion picture the first of all the movies uh we put that to next week so we're just we're talking about some deep shit though some eugenics and uh hitler and mlk it's been quite deep love me some hitler wait wait hold on i don't think i meant that no i don't think you did you're already clipped that's right <laughs> the next um so uh, like, and I said just a few minutes ago that this conversation has brought up so many topics that um, I'm I'm going to have to uh, go back and listen to the replay and take some notes from it um, because I think some of the other conversations that we've had have brought out um, topics that I have on my list. Like, is it better to be right than happy, right? But the other one I want to look at, which I think Star Trek must have covered... And that is aging and ageism. And um, and so I'll have to, to look at that, but I don't know if any, any of you Star Trekkers out there have any immediate thoughts on, on how Star Trek looked at that. I mean, it's the plot of Wrath of Khan. Ah, right, right. Kirk feeling insecure that he's gotten older. Right. My immediate thought was going to poor Scotty when he, when he was in the, the transporter for 70 years or something like that. And then everything had gone ahead of him and he felt like he had nothing to offer. But, um, and then somebody had said, and I don't know this one, they talked about Kess from Voyager. Does that trig trigger anything for you? Poor Kess. Mm. Born yesterday so and grew too old too soon. Oh, is that what happened? Oh, okay. Well, that might be interesting. I feel like I was born yesterday and I'm growing too too old too fast. <laughs> I can tell you that much. I mean, Kess's character is interesting because, like, Neelix is literally an old man pervert who finds this basically infant and then proceeds to take advantage of her. And everyone's kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. Ew. Well, I think that's as good a place as any to close out today's episode. This is Star Trek Sundays on Clubhouse. Our regular show is Sunday at 10 a.m. PST. To be notified of future shows, please join the house on Clubhouse and our mailing list at StarTrekSundays.com. Today, we were having a casual Star Trek Sundays crew chat. Thank you to everyone who has participated in the show and to our listening supporters. 
Please join us next week for the search for a creator. We hope you have a great week. And on behalf of T, live long and prosper.